The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Let's do this. You are listening to Super Skull, your weekly new comic day audio digest, this time for the week of April 22nd, 2020, issue 273. My name is Nick Wybar. I'm here with Curtis Sullivan. Oh, hello, Nicholas. Oh, hello, Curtis. How are you, sir? I'm doing so well. Just hanging out in the home stewed, you know, taking it easy, taking it light. I'm bundled up. I got, like, my nice comfy socks on. Got my comfy hat was... on. I'm so glad that you told us about your comfy socks. That's really important and good that you did that. Yeah, no, it's crucial. You know, if you want to get in the right headspace, you got to be first in the right foot space, as we all know. Oh, that is just good. Good news. Uh, what's up? You you grown a beard? Yeah, I got a little bit of a beard, as best I can grow one. Um, so it's it's patchy and it's super gray because I'm getting old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, man, I haven't shaved. I've been on a no shave situation. I think we're like week four, no shave. You, Some light trimming. You, you and me and every asshole on the planet is taking this opportunity to to grow a beard in quarantine. Yeah, you, you just I'm can't doing do it. it in public. Um, yeah, no, you got to do it in private unless you're like one of those you know cool dudes who can grow a beard like in two days, right? But for the rest of us, no, it takes Have me six ever, months ha- to get half a beard. Have you ever had a beard before, like a like an honest to god full beard? No, no, I can't do it. No, I, I just am incapable of growing one. It's 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 hideous. You know when folks who can't grow a beard like won't quit and they just do it anyways. And you yes, want to I have I have several friends them. who, yeah, yeah, stop doing it. When do you say it? When do you say something? You know? No, it looks fucking bad. You can't do it. I've got a lot of very handsome. You know, I'm going to say it, manly male friends who can grow just the most virile, full, beautiful beards. And it's it's mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. And I, yeah, I'm a little bit jealous. Sure. Fine. I'll say it. Um, Did you say virile? Yeah. Virile. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great virility replacement, the beard, <laughs> from doing nothing. Like all it indicates is that you did nothing. What I've learned yeah. is that it's it's not nothing. It's not actually nothing. Like you have to, you got to do some stuff and you can turn a uh a shitty beard into a slightly less sh- shitty beard with concerted effort yeah uh yeah it's tough for me and i've always wished i could grow i can only grow facial hair like on on my neck so i i am your classic <laughs> neck beard guy like which really yeah. sucks um yeah that that's not what you want i don't think no, and I'm I'm a blondie, you know, like a, a blonde haired dude. So like my beard is like now it's gray, but it's also like that kind of weird, gross blonde facial hair that just doesn't look good on a pasty white guy like myself. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just all around a bad combo for me. But you know, hey, I'm home alone, you know, and I'm lazy. Well, so so that's the thing. So I mean, you I mean, first of all, just so you know, like I will be the first one to tell you if your beard sucks. Like that's a service <laughs> I'm willing to do for you. Yeah, thank you. That's how like, I know you're. My I haven't, se- I haven't seen you in a while because of uh, quarantine conditions, and uh, so I don't know. Maybe it looks really, really sweet. But if it doesn't, I swear to God, I will just tell you thank as you. soon as I see you. No, there's there's things that and, friends do for friends, and that's one of them. I want you to do it for me. 
I want you to do it for me. No. Do you think that your beard will survive the quarantine? You mean a- after I emerge from my cocoon? Yeah, when you crawl out of your cave? Absolutely not. There's no chance. Oh, it's it's, it's just going to go. Yeah, and we'll see. If the mustache is like very full, I might go mustache for a few. We'll see. Because mm-hmm. um, that's fun for me. I don't look good with a mustache, but I think it's hilarious. And I don't know if anybody else does, but... Like, I, I love it. So. Okay, well, I'll tell yeah. you about your mustache as well, um, and I'll let you know. Good. And if I have a booger in my nose, let me know. And I want and, you to, you know. I'll tell you that, too. I absolutely will tell yeah, you that, too. That's and, what friends uh, do. We, I want you to do the same for me, although uh, my beard looks great, so I'm not too worried about it. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to a, solid, uh, to a solid review from you when you finally see it. Okay, I've never seen you bearded, I don't think. I had a um, shitty goatee when um, when I first started working at Vault of Midnight. You did, and oh I my remember. Gosh, it was shitty. Did I mock y- you? You did. Well, I remember um, you and I were going to pick something up. We were doing something for work, and you made a comment about like you know uh, about people with goatees and how like worse than a beard is to yeah. have a goatee. As I sat there in the car next <laughs> to you, with with my goatee on my face. That's classic, Curtis. Yeah. Um, but that's as close as I ever got. It was not a good look then. I know this now, and I I wish no. that you had a you, that you that I had a buddy that would say, "Lose that goatee, bro." Just somebody, just like what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? Get rid of it. Don't do it. Yeah. No, I, uh, it's my least favorite uh, cut of facial hair is the goatee, and mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. I think it's because it's mostly like I think of like Steven Seagal, you know, and he's just such a repugnant asshole. Yeah, that I, you know, I've just, you know, associate that with anyone with a goatee. That's probably it, actually, now that I say it out loud. So but. it's just it's just like everything, you know, like you, you just assume that because someone very handsome did it and it looked great, that it will do the exact same thing to your face. Like, I'm just going to grow a goatee and I'm going to look like Matthew Lillard. For yeah, instance, or, or Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt can do whatever he wants with facial Ex- hair. It's fine. Ex- exactly, but that's that. Yep. That is that's not how that's not how hair works. It turns out is <laughs> a hard, cold truth. Yep. Indeed. Well, yeah. I. I. We're, we probably have just so much bad facial hair that's gonna that's happening now, and that will continue to happen as we're yeah. all, you know, sequestered. So well, I look. I look forward to seeing more shitty facial hair. Absolutely. Yeah, all of the time. The sweet the sweet judgment that I'll get to I'll get to indulge in when all of this is over and I get to see I'll keep it all in my mind. I'll silently judge them all. Well, I've been reading a lot of uh Dan Cl- uh, Dan Klaus, so uh I think that's appropriate. Absolutely. It's it's spot on. You know, it hits a little close to home, right? Like I am a silent judgy asshole. Exactly. We're going to come back to Dan Klaus in a minute, but first do you want to do the numbers? Let's do them. Okay. Play the music. And then come bring the music to a screeching halt. There are no numbers. There's not a number to be found. We're numberless. Yeah. We have no sales data for what's been happening in the comic book industry for the past uh, however many weeks. Um, normally, by this time, we would be well past when we had access to March numbers mm-hmm. and to see what... But that is kind of like smack dab in the middle of March is when the coronavirus bomb landed on the comic book industry and, and everything else. In the whole world, So, yeah. uh, So we have no data... And it's unclear when sales data will ever be available again. Um, it's probably going to be a while. So those are the numbers. Yeah. 
That was our fastest numbers section uh, segment Boom. ever. Numbers, not not a lot. We don't have them, but whatever they're going to be, they're going to be. I, they're not going to be pretty, I bet. Dude, I can't. It's going to be so fucking grim <laughs> to see those numbers. It's gonna, it's gonna be like existentially yeah. grim when we when we finally have access to see like what this did to the comic book industry for the month of March. Yeah, and April. comic sales are down ninety one percent. You know, <laughs> like holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally wacky. I can't wait to see them. I mean, it's, 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 it's the the um, nerd in me. Uh, wants to to see those numbers. Oh, totally. Like, oh, what really transpired? It's it's interesting. Like what what moved during this time, if anything? Yeah, is there going to be like a standout book that people were like, oh no, I'm locked in my house, or I'm about to be locked in my house. This, these are the items, uh, comic book wise, that I I must have. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. What are the movers and shakers uh, in the lead up to this, if anything? As I wonder. Yeah. What are the what are the movers and shakers in a pandemic? Yeah, it's the first time. We've, we've ever asked that question. I can't wait to get the answer. We're going to find out. But um, what we do have is some uh, news, though. We do have some developments in the comic book industry. Would you like to talk about them? I sure would. There's so many, and they're just they're happening constantly. It's crazy. Well, the, the, big, the big one over the course of the past week is that DC Comics, um, creator of Plastic Man, uh, broke the seal and has made uh, distribution agreements with distributors that are not Diamond Comics. Which they've had an exclusive arrangement with for for decades. For decades. I mean, there has been one distributor for comic books since the late 90s, and it's been Diamond Comics, and now DC has formed relationships and formed agreements with not one but two new distributors. Um, this, If this sounds pretty boring, it's not. It's a pretty huge deal. Um, the two new companies. Well, I guess first of all, before we go any further, yeah, is is it a huge deal? Am I talk? Am I wrong? No, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, you know, uh, Diamond has had a monopoly on the distribution of comics since nineteen ninety six, nineteen ninety seven, and you like, and a lot of people would say like illegally. So, like, it's an illegal monopoly. Um, you know, you're not allowed to do this uh, in business, right? There can't only be one place to do a thing, right? Because you can you can do stuff like you know price fixing and all kinds of other illegal shit, right? And I'm not saying Diamond is doing those things, but in fairness, um, there 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 was a the Justice Department did determine that it was not illegal. And I don't know all the details about that, but like there there actually was a like that was formally settled that this is not an illegal arrangement. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. In the year 2000. Yeah, I don't know all the details of that. But yeah, a lot of people uh would call them a monopoly and, you know, for all intents and purposes, like we can only get books from them. Uh, as far as like the big publishers, Marvel and DC, of course, are the two biggest and make up eighty percent of all comics. But then, like that next tier um, of publishers too, there's about sixteen of the largest publishers in comic books that are exclusive with Diamond. So this is really huge news. This is in our entire existence as a comic store. Um, this is a game changer. This is well, not a game changer. It's it's just. What does it mean? It's it's wacky. It, we're in uncharted territory yeah. uh, for comic book shops and comic distribution, right? We are in uncharted territory. And yeah, legality aside, I mean, they are effectively an, a monopoly because there's just nowhere else to go. Yeah. You, you know. And we talk about it on the show all of the time, um, but it, it affects the comic book industry at every level all the way down. The fact that there's only one place that you can go to to get this stuff. Um, it affects like the shape and tenor of literally every comic shop on the planet because you're basically partnered with this other corporation and like subject to that other company. 
um, which in this case is Diamond Comics. Yeah. So now we have two new distributors, and right now the the only, as far as we know, and as of today's recording on April twenty second, the only thing we know is that these two distributors are distributing di- uh, DC Comics. Yes, we've heard nothing about other publishers. Exactly. So it's not like make way for two new distributors on the scene. It's more like we have, you know, now DC is going one place else. Is this going to be like, are they breaking the seal and other publishers are going to follow suit? Is this going to go down in flames and just make things more complicated? It's way too early to know. Um, the new, the two new companies are, uh, these two new distributors, interestingly, are both, uh, they're new entities that have been set up by other retailers. Yeah. So the other retailers are Midtown Comics and Discount Comic Book Services. Yeah. Midtown out of New York and they you know they've got a uh, multiple stores in New York City. They got a huge brick and mortar uh presence and uh you know Discount Comic Book Services is exclusively a deep deep discount online kind of blowout zone for even new product for comic books uh with no brick and mortar presence, right? Yeah. Um, and Midtown is probably the biggest retailer of comic books in the world from what we know, um, because of their online stuff and because of how, you know, because of their presence in New York city. Um, we don't know this data because we never have like, this is not stuff that gets shared with the public, but in all likelihood, Midtown comics is like probably the, the, the biggest comic shop in the world in terms of sales. Yeah. I read a few uh, things that said that between these two companies uh, or these two entities that they uh, could account for as much as 10% of total comic book sales. Right. Which is massive when you think and, about it. No, that's huge. And and also, really importantly, um, Midtown already does subscription fulfillment for Marvel and DC. So if you get a subscription, which you can still do um, directly through Marvel or DC, like if you go to them and be like, I want to read Captain America every month, Marvel Comics, and I don't want to go to a comic shop to do it, then Midtown is the is the company that like fulfills those subscriptions. Yep. They'll, they'll send you physical comic books in the mail. Yes. So they're built out for it. They're built out for the management and housing and distribution of single issue comics. So that makes sense as to why they would be like, you know, they don't have to, they already have the infrastructure to do something like this. They probably have to scale up a little bit if they're going to service a bunch of different comic shops. Like that's different than sending direct to consumers. But like the processing and handling and fulfilling of comic books is super weird because there's so much of it and they're all part of all these different series and they're all like numbered entities with variants and you know so there's so much of them coming out every single week and then they're also very small so like the shipping of them is like has to be really precise and handled in a really specific way so it it's not nothing to already know how to do this which is probably why you know DC didn't go to an Abrams or a Random House or something um right that already distributes and sells books to bookstores because comic books are not books they just like they they behave a lot differently especially in the single issue realm right and if the folks receiving them and processing them are not familiar with comic books i mean uh you just need to be i mean stuff could get it's too weird get wacky real fast yeah um and and also we should say that like as far as like other you know, sources to get books, um, Midtown and Discount Comic Book Services are probably the only two options that Diamond, you know, that could immediately, without like, 
you know, I, I don't know how else you would do it. You know, building a company from the ground up is the only other option, really, right? Without having to spool up and, like, build new infrastructure and new warehouses and stuff and, like, figure out the sorting system for single-issue comics, yeah, these guys are, uh, you know, Midtown and uh, Discount Comics are, are probably, they're just ready to go. So that probably makes them attractive as, a, as an alternative to Diamond at this point. Um, John Jackson Miller, the writer behind Comicron, uh, who does, who's been like looking at industry trends and like the financials of the, of the comic book industry for, you know, 20 plus years. Um, and also who's just a very calming presence in this time. Like, especially when like, it's easy to freak out about what's happening to the comic book industry. He has a very like level head and looks at the history of this stuff in a really interesting way. Um, he thinks that there's just no way that this is a permanent solution for DC that this or for anyone else like we're that this is just a stopgap measure to wait until diamond spools back up again and the reason that he i think he thinks it's a stopgap measure is that like it is kind of it it feels like a little antagonistic to other retailers yeah in a lot of ways um and yeah, I was wondering what your reaction was, Curtis, when you when you first saw this news about these new distributors. Yeah, so I, you know, we need more distributors. Let's let's say that out loud immediately. We need other options to Diamond Comics going forward for all comic books, right? Um, that's the truth. Um, picking, I think, these two folks is the only option for DC if they want to go this route. But it's they're just, I think they're competitors uh to the comic book industry and to to be honest i mean this this makes me think of other stuff this why don't we have map pricing in comic books right which is like a minimum advertised price for comic books the fact that these two companies notoriously sell pre-ordered brand new products for 40 to 50 percent off um feels like that they are a direct competitor to the entire rest of the market, right? So you've got the two mm-hmm. biggest competitors to the entire direct market now in charge of distributing DC's comics. That seems yeah. tough. I, I don't like that situation. I don't I don't prefer both of these companies' business models anyways. I know you're online and you got to compete with Amazon and all this shit, but this race to the bottom is going to burn everybody eventually, even the giant, the titan that is Amazon. The race to the bottom is not sustainable. And by that, I mean we can't sell brand-new product at bargain blowout garbage prices before they even come out. I mean we're just devaluing our shit. We're devaluing our industry. And and I think short-term, yeah, you can boost some sales, but your margins are crap. And if the needle moves you know, in any negative way – um, these companies won't won't last. Um, I don't think Midtown or Discount Comic Book Services can can handle being a distributor with margins as shitty as they are, selling as low as they both do. Right? I mean, it just seems very precarious. I guess. Right? Yeah. I mean, and and the argument there, just to like smooth it out, is that these these are two retailers who like already like almost all comic book shops are just are are brick and mortar retailers, like in the most classic sense of the word. And just to clarify a little bit, I mean, like the these the these two retailers have set up. I mean, they're brand new entities. They've set up separate companies to do this distribution. Um, yeah. And I can't. I can't. Do you, do you have the name of them offhand? It's like uh, Luna or something. Yeah, it is. Uh, um, yeah, Lunar Distribution, and then the other one is called USD. Is Midtown's company, and Lunar okay. is uh, Discount Comic Book Services company. 
Yeah. Both of which yeah. were set up in the last few weeks. Yes. And, you know, you for all the re- if you're DC and your goal and your thinking is like I need to get these comics out as fast as possible or we're going to go out of business. Yeah. Like it makes this makes sense. This decision makes sense for them on paper. But then, you know, for uh, a brick and mortar brick and mortar retailers are like and comic book shops are the epitome of brick and mortar retailers. Like they very rarely have a large online presence. They're really dependent on people like coming in the shop and like having that this sounds cheesy, but like having that experience of being in the thing and like talking to a human being and like picking up a physical thing off of a shelf. Yep. And we Midtown Comics and Discount Comic Book Services, uh, who are now responsible for these new distributions, their thing is like, we'll send it to you for forty percent off. It's the it's it's basically that model is the opposite of what every comic book shop or most comic book shops have to lean into as their strength, which is we're going to charge you full price and we're going to like make it cool because we're doing that. We're going to give you an experience and like justify our existence uh, to you, the person that just walked in off the street. Right. Because, and, and the, the idea of then just like popping online and getting one of these for 40% off and having it shipped to your house flies directly in the face of that. So when you say that like these are direct, both of these are, uh, these retailers are direct competitors to the rest of the comic book industry, I totally agree with you. And I, and I think that they do contribute to a, a devaluing of the whole thing and a, and a race to the bottom mentality, which is not, you know, what is the, what is, what is the worth of a physical thing being sold in the physical world? It's like, hey, we we have figured out the least that we can possibly sell this for, so we're going to sell them for that. Well, and if you're DC Comics, right? I mean, why do why don't you announce that you're you're starting like minimum advertised pricing when you announce this, right, to ease some of this pain? If if you're DC, do you want your products being perceived as as literally blowout bin shit before it's even come out? I mean. I was yeah, looking at Discount Comic Book Services website, and they're soliciting product that ships in December at half off. Like, it, it seems odd, right? Like, if I'm and, Nike, if I'm any brand, do do I want my my shit being perceived like that? It's just total brand erosion. It feels like I don't know. Maybe the market's so small. Who gives a shit? Any sale is a sale, right? But um, if you're DC, it feels like these announcements like they need to be thought about in the same headspace right you're because you're telling comic shops that you your two biggest competitors are going to now start distributing these books to you um meanwhile they're going to sell those same books that you're trying to sell for 40 to 50 percent off day one you know that's that's rough so that that's what you're saying so when you're saying minimum advertised pricing which is something that you know may not mean anything to anybody like what what you're saying is is that everybody has to sell if if dc came out and said yes we're going to be working with these new distributors and they and everyone else has to sell it at retail price yes or or, Which, or some discount that is agreed upon, no more than X discount, you know, or something, right? right. You you can't you can't mark it off more than twenty like twenty to ten percent off of whatever the 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 cover the price on the cover of the book is, so that we're at least like working off of the same playing field. We're all we're all playing the same game, at the same time. Um, which, because right now, as retailers, as we're looking at this, we're like, oh, there's two new distributors that we need to set up agreements with. Are we going to be paying? 
these two new distributors who are owned by retailers, and then they're also going to be selling the exact same books, but they're going to be selling it for prices that we can never compete with. Yeah, there are direct competitors, yeah. And that especially right now we can't really compete with at all because our shops are closed and almost all comic shops are closed. So it is, it's troubling. And, you know, uh, we, I, I have been, this has been my hobby horse for as long as we've been doing this show. And for as long as I've, you know, worked in this industry is that we need new distributors in comics. We need diamond needs a competitor. There needs to be someplace else to go and say, Hey, I think that there are changes that can be made in the industry. And, uh, you know, I would prefer to give my business to someone that also was invested in those changes so that we could grow this whole thing. And uh, when you only have one person to go to, it's there's it ends the conversation because, like, what are you going to do? You're going to go across the street? There's no street to cross. There's no one else to talk right. to. Yeah, your books are damaged. And, Ship comes late. There, You know, customer service isn't living up to your expectations. Ho-hum. You just take it. You know, there is no no other option. Yeah. Or if you want a voice on behalf of retailers to like talk to publishers about the direction that this thing could go, there's just a million different reasons that happen organically in a competitive marketplace. And that doesn't happen when you have one distributor. But this, something like this, like DC rushing out the door to get agreements set up with bargain basement retailers in order to get product out as quickly as possible this is the worst possible way to get a new distributor in comics. And it, yeah. it just feels like they're, they're kind of flailing about. And John Jackson Miller, which, you know, this point that we made that, you know, that he made and we were just talking about a second ago, he's probably right. This is probably just something that we're doing in the meantime in order to, or that DC is doing in the meantime in order to get some money coming in. Whereas right now there is no money coming in. Sure. And, but because of that, these I, these initiatives are probably not going to work out very well. It's angered a lot of retailers. A lot of retailers are really frustrated, you know, all for all the reasons that we've just talked about and for a million other reasons. Yeah. And this kind of guarantees that we're, I don't know, I, don't, I may not want to say guarantee, but it it doesn't bode well for someone trying to get a legitimate competitor to Diamond going out of all of this, which is kind of a hope that I've been holding out for since all of this started is that you know now that all of these companies have to break their agreements with Diamond anyway because Diamond isn't selling their stuff that maybe someone would step up and start a smart new distribution model and to compete with Diamond and to get something like this which is really half-assed and poorly communicated and feels kind of predatory in a way and kind of a fuck you to brick and mortar retailers right this this will probably fail and discourage an actual competitor for Diamond. And that's the biggest bummer out of all of this. I feel like there's so many companies that already exist. You know, like you mentioned earlier, Abrams, or there's all these other companies that distribute books to bookstores and comic book stores that have some infrastructure. There has to be a way for somebody else to emerge as a distributor for comic books, right? It's not, these can't be the only two options. Um and and it's it's a weird business. It's it, who's going to do it? Uh, but yeah, there it'd be so cool if somebody who had some knowledge of comic books at one of these places could step in and go, "Hey, here's a way we could we could work comic books into the system we already have." You know, because uh, there are distributors out there that do books that have nationwide. You know, that whole system, the warehousing, the the personnel, all of this. I mean, periodicals are funky. Sure. Um, 
Yeah. And even for periodicals, these are particularly funky. I mean, it's it's almost like, you know, if if uh, Popular Science magazine, which I don't even know if it exists anymore, if right. Popular Science magazine put out a different version of itself every single week and there were 40 different versions of Popular Science and right. they all came out on a staggered schedule and released every single week. And they all and had six covers had, and... Yeah, and they all had six covers, and they all had to go. So, like, even if you're built out for magazine and periodical distribution, like, it is it is super weird to to distribute comics. And so the, and I think this is what you're getting at. Like, maybe another another book, if for some reason another book publisher, a book distributor wanted to get in on this action, it would it would take a long time to do it right. It would take a long time to like figure out the business and figure out the model and figure out how to break into it. And it may not, frankly, be lucrative enough to try to get just a piece of the pie from Diamond Comics, right? Sure. If to do all of that work to get set up to to run this really complicated thing, um, which is the distribution of single issue comics, only to share it with another distributor. Um, it it may not like maybe this industry is just like not lucrative enough to have more than one really big distributor. That would break my heart, but I think I think it's unlikely that we're gonna find out now. Um, and because of these moves, I don't think it's gonna. There's gonna be a huge incentive for anyone else to break into the business. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like unless en mass publishers break away and sign up with these two companies that that they can even stick in this for too long uh, just doing dc right um you know you you peel out the other you know 65 percent of the comics market um you know and maybe they're like you say they're already set up for subscription services right uh at least midtown is that this isn't much of a stretch for them but yeah no it, it seems very stopgap although we should say i was uh reading some news that midtown has announced the uds distributor uh, which is going to handle the East Coast, we should say this also, and then Lunar is going to handle the West Coast, right? So they're two separate entities for each side of the country. Uh, UDS just mm-hmm. announced uh, the first round of, um, they call them FOCs in the comic book business, final order cutoff, so you can adjust your comic book orders. So they've they've announced those, which means they have some system in place for kind of ongoing uh, you know, comic book order adjustment, and they've waived credit card fees and reorder fees for the first two months. So they're expecting to be doing this for at minimum two months, which is, um, yeah. you know, longer than a stopgap, uh, it feels like, if you're already kind of announcing these kind of these things, right? Like, they might plan Maybe. to be around for a little while. I don't know. What's wacky is that, like, we are, so we out of a, three comic shops and we have placed orders for DC Comics going into, what, June? Something yeah, like oh, that. Yeah. yeah, and beyond with some advanced solicited stuff, for sure. Yep. And DC sent out an email to retailers saying, all of the orders you placed with Diamond Comics have been canceled. Yep. So all of the DC books that you thought you were going to get during through the only channel that was ever available to you previously to this, um, all of those orders have canceled. You have a few days to set up accounts with these two new distributors. And then we got another message from Diamond who says, hey, all, no, they're not. All of your orders are totally safe. And if you place your orders, then they're going to show up uh, right on schedule. So we have these like conflicting, these two huge presences in the comic book industry, DC Comics and Diamond Comics. And they're really saying the opposite thing. DC saying, you've got to go to these new distributors to get your books. And Diamond saying, no, you don't. 
And that feels like something that's going to be worked out in a courtroom at some point because uh, retailers have no idea what to do with that information. It's not clear at all what the what the play is at this point. If you're a comic shop that wants to sell DC Comics. Yeah, and, and we totally do. So for where we're sitting, um, you know, we're not going to sign up with these new distributors because um, we, we're not open. So even if we could get new DC product, it would be going to a shop that, you know, or, you know, that's not open or being sent to my garage to not be sold. So that's another component of this. Like DC is in a rush to get these books back out to whoever can sell them. But that number is very, very tiny of, of folks who can sell these. these on, it's online retailers in a fraction of the country is uh, allowed to be open and selling comic books right now. So that's the other Which thing. The it, whole point that they're doing this like in such a rushed fashion is because they want to get books out as soon as possible but nobody's open. And the people that benefit the most from that are people that are selling comics online, which is ultimately working against the interest of most of these retailers, most of these brick-and-mortar retailers that make up such a huge portion of what the comic book industry actually is. Yeah, it's these two big distributors are the ones who stand uh, you know, to gain a whole lot from this, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, man, it's, uh, it's a huge... Uh, shit show it feels like in a lot of different ways Um, and retailers are getting pissed as comic book retailers are wont to do though I don't it's not totally unjustified yeah Um, this is weird weird stuff yeah it's weird stuff and weird times and it seems like DC is handling it in a less than uh, thoughtful way Um, their communication about it is like pretty intensely bad no, they should and, have absolutely got on the same page with Diamond before they just start making announcements. That's very fucking amateur hour, right? I mean, in the middle of all this, you don't line up what what your your message is, what the situation is with your your only biggest distributor for decades. I mean, that's strange, right? And that's intense, especially when retailers are have you know tens of thousands of dollars invested in the you know and across the industry, hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in like already having ordered these books that are supposed to come out in a few months, and it's it's not clear where that money is going to go and how to make sure that it comes through and this st- stuff like this complicates the whole thing and makes a recovery for the industry I think that much more complicated and that much harder. So those that is the news. Yeah, that's, uh, that's some wacky news, man. Every week it seems like uh, the comic news is is so crazy. I bet in other industries it's also crazy too. But we live. Oh in, yeah, totally. We live in a little bubble. So. So, uh, Nick, you know what this made me think of is um, what uh, we opened our comic book shop in 1996, and that was right mm-hmm. in the middle of this massive um, the death of the comic book industry, <laughs> kind of like what's happening now. Um, and uh, well, we we didn't what have was the internet on at that point. Well, we didn't have the internet, so we didn't know that comic shops were imploding at an epic scale, right? You know, um, and by that I mean we went from like twelve thousand comic shops, ten or twelve thousand comic shops, to you know three thousand comic shops, like essentially in a year. We had no sense this was, of this. This is in nineteen ninety six. During the nineteen ninety six, during like the cra- the the speculator collapse, and then the 
just like the the constriction of the comic book industry, the biggest one ever that happened in the 90s. Exactly. The distributor wars, uh, Diamond versus Capital City, Marvel Comics uh, went solo with their own distribution uh, company called Heroes World. They went bankrupt. It was like a total disaster, right? But we that was 1996, and so we, we weathered that somehow and made it into 1997, and things are just starting to get back to normal, right? Uh, Marvel Comics came crawling back to Diamond, and, uh, and how know, was, aware were you of this stuff like while it was going on? You had to at least know about the distributor stuff, right? We Yes, we knew all about that because that really gave us trouble when we opened. We leaned into Capital City and placed most of our orders through that distributor. We just had a, a sense that we liked them more. I don't know what it was. Just uh, That was the decision that I made at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, yeah, they carried a lot of independent stuff, you know, so I was into that. And... Um, yeah, and then they went bankrupt three months after we opened, and Diamond bought them, and uh, they were <laughs> yeah. supposed to fulfill all of Capital City's orders, and of course it was a total shit show, and it, they didn't fulfill everything, and it, it was a mess, right? And this is like months after we opened our tiny, super underfunded comic book store, right? Right. And, uh, so it, it was a wacky time, and but we, you know, we made it through, and uh, we didn't carry any Marvel comics because uh, Marvel had all these rules. Um, but we were just starting to carry Marvel comics. It's nineteen ninety seven. Everything's starting to even out, and uh, UPS went on strike, and uh, it was it right. affected the entire country for over three weeks. Man, they just shut down, dude. And it, I've completely forgot about this because there was there was so much trauma <laughs> in those first couple years <laughs> as a comic <laughs> shop, man. I think I fucking blacked it out. <laughs> it's it wild because it was it was huge. How, how did you get? Did, did, was it just no comics for three weeks? No, so Diamond, um, to their credit, uh, actually came up with this really wacky plan. They found like um, all these sites around the country. They had um, a shipping system, like a trucking system at that point, which I don't think they uh, have any longer, where they had semi-trucks full of comics, and they would move comics around. Maybe it was to UPS hubs. I'm not exactly sure how it worked, but they figured out a way to have their trucking fleet ship comics out to all these drop points around the country. And uh, they came up with some math that uh, all the comic shops that they serviced were within 150 miles of one of these drop points in the whole country, right? What? Which is is crazy. And they and they spent a lot of money doing this. And yeah. um, so for three weeks, me and Steve would drive out to I think it was Taylor, Michigan, and uh, hang out in like the shipping yard with every single comic retailer in Michigan that could get there, <laughs> which was which was tons of people. It was and this nuts, is dude. Steve, we should say Steve, the co-founder of Vault of Midnight. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, we would drive out there, and this is when comics came out on Wednesday, and we received them on Wednesday. So it was total okay. shit show, right? Because we, you know, we wouldn't get back to the shop. We'd have to open late, and people would be like banging on the door for new comic books, which you know we're still receiving. But dude, we would be standing in like this kind of industrial. I remember it's like a post-industrial wasteland. It was like a like some shipping yard that hadn't been used, <laughs> you know, in, in 10 years and, uh, yeah. you know, cracked concrete and everything. And then a line of like, like a hundred retailers. And, um, <laughs> it was super bizarre, man. Like stacks of comics. You'd go pick up your stack of comics off the ground and, uh, everybody was weird with one another. It was like back then, uh, I realized that like, com- I think comic shop owners hate each other instinctively. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know that at that moment. Like we're all like, right. you know, because the business is so small and it, it was like super fucking cutthroat was like sort of the vibe. You know, I try to talk and to And you're really and I, new to it at this point. Like the, the, you've only been open for like a year at this point, right? Yeah. 
we're barely a year. We're crazy green. So we'd come in there, we'd be all like stoned and happy and be like, hey, what's going on? What's your shop? And people are just like, <laughs> fuck you. Don't talk to me. You know, <laughs> like it was weird, dude. Um, That's wild. Yeah. And that went on for, uh, yeah, th- just three weeks. It was three pickups. But uh, yeah. I blacked it out, man. And uh, we, I got John Jackson Miller over at Comic Ron was was writing about what's going on right now in the comic book biz, and he wrote a little bit about this, and it just uh, brought it all like flooding back because uh, I yeah. had washed it from my mind. But uh, yeah, that's wild. It was a wacky time, dude. Yeah, and it made me think like, hey, we've been through a lot of wacky shit, actually. Nothing I think sure. this fucking crazy. This is, you know, as like human lives on the line and is like affecting like the very fabric of society writ large, you know, like this is a big thing. But, um, you know. But the comic book industry has been through a lot. Uh, and it's, I mean, just even to think about what 1996 and 1997 looked like. I mean, it realistically, it looked like there was not going to be comic book shops at that point like it was it was contracting so much that and so fast there was, and so fast and nobody knew where the bottom was that for probably for a year it was not a crazy thing to say like oh well comic shops are going to go away um there might be a you know comic books are not going to go anywhere but uh we're not going to have comic shops anymore that that was a a very realistic thought to have <laughs> in the in the mid nineties. Oh, how, how does your your it, business go down sixty seventy percent, and, and you have any hopes of living? That's just it's impossible, yeah. right? Um, and that's really that's kind of cool to hear about Diamond setting up those distribution centers. Like, I talk so much shit about Diamond for so many different reasons, but you can't deny that they have basically saved the industry. Uh, at, at at a couple points in their history um, by, like, working their ass off and figuring out what the industry needed and, like, you know, and to their own benefit so that they can keep doing what they're doing. Of course. Um, that, that doesn't make them superheroes or, you know, particularly good for comic books, I don't think, but they have done a lot for comic book retailers. There's, like, there's just no way you can say that they, they haven't. No, there's so much that they could do better. I have a litany of gripes, but, yeah, um... You know, and I think they're making a lot of the right moves right now in doing everything they can to keep this thing, keep this thing, yeah. you know, uh, alive and able to reopen. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you wish some of their bigger partners like, you know, uh, DC would, uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> line up a little bit uh, with them and, and maybe at least have a conversation before they they go rogue is what it feels like yes. a little bit. So, yeah, no, they uh, they did that all on their own dime and um, shit. I, at that point, we would no longer be a comic shop. If we didn't have comic books for three weeks in 1997, that is the end of Vaults of Midnight at that point. We had even right. less money then than we do now. Well, yeah. we we got no new comics now, and this is a uh, weekly new comic day podcast, Curtis. It is, and and all we have is old comics, my dude. All we, all we have is old comics, and we're gonna, uh, we've been doing a thing for the past few weeks where we have been challenging one another to read books that the other person hasn't read things that are like some of our favorite shit but the other person has never read it in its entirety or maybe hasn't read in a really long time that is that that's what we've been reading for reading comics and this week that challenge it was a challenge indeed it challenged it it was a challenging challenge it was it was challenging like i feel it fucked me up 
reading <laughs> The Complete Eight Ball uh, by Daniel Klaus. Yeah, uh, and, this is my pick, we should say. This is uh, something that I, I subjected young Nick to. It's my fault. Yes. I'm so glad that you did. On measure, I'm glad that I I'm glad that you did it. But man, this one, reading 18 issues of Eight Ball from Daniel Klaus has left me feeling fucking crazy. In a time yeah. when already like we're all pretty primed to feel <laughs> fucking crazy, Curtis. I just want to point that out. Yeah, right. No, it's um yeah, it's we should say really quick that this book is published by Fanographics uh and it started uh its publication in 1989 and it ran till 1997. And I want to say that just for, you know, just so you know when it came out, but also because, you know, it feels like that's when it came out in a lot of ways. And totally. we'll talk about why that is. Um, <laughs> it came out in single issue comics. Um, and uh, this is the first 18 and in the, in the, we're reading this box set that they put out called the complete eight ball. Uh, but it, yes. it, he, after issue 18, he, he, he got more, um, long form with his storytelling and started release, releasing uh, issues of 8-Ball as, as graphic novels. So, yeah, you know, so uh, later the, issues that changed format. Right. Sorry, so some ahead. of the issues became graphic novels. Some of them were just chapters in longer graphic novels. There's actually this really cool note. Like, this is issues... Technically, there are 23 issues of 8-Ball, and yep. we have access to the first 18 in this collection. And he says here, those collectors with OCD should seek treatment rather than wait for some future volume that contains these other five issues. <laughs> yeah. Because they've and all been and rightly so. into like larger graphic novel formats. Yep. So 8-Ball is a, what would you call it? It was released in single-issue format Yeah. starting in 1989. It came out semi-annually. I think it was like two issues a year. Yeah, on a good year part. we might get three, yeah. Yeah. And the premise of each one is that you get a bunch of little vignettes there is usually one long form story that goes in between the issues that might last for as many as you know six or ten issues something uh-huh. like that yep and in between you might get these one two or three page short stories they are completely wild so i just took a bunch of notes as i was reading this yeah like in order as I was reading it, just kind of reacting to it. Yeah, the I can't... The first note I wrote was, this is rad. <laughs> it's indie. It's so indie. Yeah. Um, I, I can't wait to hear your take on this. I didn't want to say this first because this was so of my time. And yeah. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it was a little before your time. Like, I was the right age for this. I think I was the, the perfect age for 8-Ball when it was coming out. And I feel yes. like if you were reading this when it was coming out, it would have been like... It, it wouldn't have clicked the right way, right? Uh, forgive me. No, if I'm no, wrong. yeah. I mean, it started. I didn't. St- I was and I was four years old in 1989. So there yeah, you go. This is, uh, <laughs> so I, I did not read this at all, and I, I think I remember like coming across issues of Eight Ball like occasionally in the 90s, but not understanding it at all. Right. And um, I'm only familiar with Daniel Klaus in the stuff that's in these books. I'm only familiar with Daniel Klaus once these things have been collected into larger volumes. So a lot of this shit I have never read before. Right. No, and it and, and like to your point, I mean, you put this in nineteen you know, let's say even nineteen ninety six, you set this on a shelf next to Spider Man and it looks like it's from outer space. It's sweaty and weird and 
and totally uh, it looks like a jazz record mixed with you know like hippie comics from the 60s mixed with you know like violent 80s cartoons it's like so it stands out right it, it as far yeah. as the landscape of comics at that time um you know I mean, the underground scene wasn't ha- huge right right um I mean, it really feels like the underground comics with an X. It really, especially in the early stuff, as you start this volume, it really feels like of that ilk. Like, yes, there is so much R. Crumb crawling out of the pages of oh, early yeah. eight, eight ball stuff. No, he loves um, Crumb and he loves this other guy, Gilbert Sheldon, who did the Freak Brothers. Like, you can tell yes. that he's just emulating those those early uh, underground comics dudes. Like, Like, I think in a way that, Maybe he didn't even realize at the time. Now that I've reread this thing, like he, you know, you can tell he's right. trying to figure out who he is as a cartoonist. But man, it's right there on the page. Um, his love for that stuff. This is by far the coolest thing about reading this book is to see somebody basically like come into their own as a cartoonist over the course of eighteen issues and whatever you know, eight nine years, something yeah. like that. Um, this is a dude that loves this medium you can tell and is really pushing at it and pulling at it from all these different angles. He is like his, he wears his influences right on his sleeve. And like you say, I I don't know whether he's fully aware of it or not. It doesn't really matter, but like you can't help but see the influences of all of these, you know, the Joe Sackos and R crumbs and probably cartoonists that I'm, I'm not aware of, but you can see him developing his own style slowly, but surely over the course of this whole thing until it really, really becomes, you know, comes into its own and becomes a, a voice that is still has those influences in it. But uh, he he becomes like the Dan Klaus, uh, Dan Klaus that we know about, and the Dan Klaus that we're kind of familiar with, and uh, like becomes a pretty singular voice. And you see him working all of it out issue by issue. Yeah, and he, and he really is. He is like you say. It's, it's um, he is working it out so hard because you can tell he wants to do justice to like the Art Spiegelmans and all these folks that have influenced him. And he's you can see you can see the struggle on the page. And I, I really took that away from this reading of this stuff. Like he, because he's 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 being serious, but then he can't help but turn around and like wink at you, um, or or you know any moment that he thinks he's like doing too close of a of a this version of this favorite cartoonist, he has to take a left turn or a right turn, and you you can tell yep. that these are conscious decisions, right? To like be his own cartoonist, but at the same time, like be respectful to what is you know, what is supposed yeah. to be underground comics, right? That is the biggest. So, like, that, I think the best example of this is I Hate You Deeply. Yeah. Which is um, <laughs> one, two, three, like a little four, five-page story um, in the middle of the first or second issue of 8-Ball. Yep. And it's literally, I mean, it starts out saying, if you're like me or if you want me to like you, you'll hate these things too. And it's just each panel is just a type of person that he hates. Uh, British yeah, musicians, like, for instance. Yeah, a nice screed, or, right, on that, yeah. Yeah, and then there's a screed on it. And then, you know, lowest common denominators, which is just like a dude enjoying himself watching TV. Or uh, anyone involved in insurance, medicine, law, or real estate. Mm-hmm. And it just goes on like this. Like, every single panel is... Adorable cartoon children is another one. Richard Simmons. And 
just these really and it's mean spirited like it's really it's really mean but it's supposed to be like that's the thing it's it's supposed to be cartoonish and 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 over the top and then he pops in himself and points out that he is like a cynical asshole for for like pointing these things out yep and it feels so self-conscious like i i really hated this little strip here um this is the kind of thing that i would have loved when i was a teenager or in my early 20s yeah and no, like, that was this this makes me think of 90s curtis so much i say that with so much love curtis 100% no i was right like, there i was eating this shit up man like we were on the same page i was like this this dude gets it he gets me what and what is it about it? like why do you think it's cause, and this this kind of stuff put him on the map and like made him kind of separated him from a lot of people that were making independent self-published comics at this time why did it hit you so much why does a why does a strip like i hate you deeply oh, why well, does it make me think of 90s curtis so much yeah well this was me constantly you could come in the comic shop at any given time and and i was you know screeding about whatever the thing you know just spit flying out of my mouth about whatever because um, in my early 20s like cynicism was cool you know knowing it yeah. all was totally where it's at and that might still be the case i'm not i'm not sure because now i'm really old and not plugged into the youth um right but yeah it was so fucking cool to like oh yeah i, I know some shit and this is this is what it is man um yeah i didn't have any of the wink and nod that dan klaus did you know or or the self-consciousness i didn't have the thing reading it now is like I wish he would leave that stuff off at the end of that strip and just like end the strip with with you know yes. the screeds and the and that and don't and don't analyze it that way don't turn to the camera, um, but um, I didn't even have that as like a young blowhard you know I would just <laughs> or you could turn the camera back around <laughs> exactly and look at myself and go like hey dude fucking pause for a minute okay there's there's, there's stuff you don't know <laughs> yeah. You know, so I get it. Right. And he's so the earnosity and he's lucky that he's he's so good at his craft, even like at the very first comic book. Right. That he does ape on number one. He can draw like crazy good. He can emulate other artists. He's got his own style. He's good at panel work. He's good, uh, you know, at, you know, just creating a mood. So, I mean, that goes a long way. Right. As clumsy as it can be in those early issues. Right. And I mean that with love. Right. I mean, this is a guy who's clearly trying to be the best underground comics cartoonist that he can, right? That that is apparent. Yes. On on through all of this, right? Even when he gets it wrong, right? Um, oh yeah. It, I mean, there's there's like there's artistry and blood going to all of it, you know. Even even the stuff that I I had I didn't want anything to do with. Um, you can't deny that he's like working out a voice and working out a like a sense of himself and is doing something pretty different and it's also important to remember like i mean this makes me think of so much it just it completely takes me to like 90s irony and 90s cynicism yeah and and especially in comics like i think probably a lot of it is coming from from dan klaus in a lot of different ways like i don't think you get joan and vasquez without uh without dan klaus i don't think that yeah. you get a lot of cartoonists working in this ilk um, and like making quote unquote literary comic books, which is probably a term that he hates. But um, I don't, you know, I, I think he's like he's influencing a lot of different people and also idiots at the same time. Like me, if I had read this when I was, <laughs> in, you know, when, when it was coming out, a hundred percent. 
Yeah, no, totally. He's yeah, there's there's he was the I think one of the biggest voices, if not the biggest voice when eight ball was coming out in that scene and the influences. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Huge. Right. There's like a whole strip in here. Like there's just a thing called Chicago and it's just a five page story about why Chicago sucks. Can I tell you a and, secret really quick? Yeah. Uh, so last time, well, many times ago, I went to Chicago because a couple friends of mine live there, and I spent the whole trip talking about how much I hate Chicago. <laughs> yeah. To a couple of people that are my good friends that live in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. And and not never once until many years later, like, and it haunts me to this day. Like, oh, I, I that's what I did. <laughs> not for one <laughs> second did I shut the fuck up and and think, hey, yeah. these guys live here and have for years. <laughs> And what am I doing? What is the point of <laughs> <laughs> what am me? I getting out of this? <laughs> what am I? Tr- I'm trashing their hometown uh, to their yeah. face uh, after they exactly. let me uh, sleep on their couch. So that's pretty cool. And you and you did that because which I have also done in my life and been this dude, been the, yeah. this young Dan Klaus at various times in my life because yeah. it feels really cool to be smart and angry, and it makes you think that other people think that you're smart and cool to point out how stupid other things are. Yeah, how, is, how stupid the thing you like is. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cheap way to feel superior about something. Yeah. And uh, this is a master class. 8-Ball is a master class in that kind of narcissistic thinking. And the cool thing about this collection and about like reading it all the way through is that you get to see him working out narratively how to express these ideas and like that that ugly part of your brain that wants to do that in a way that's really thoughtful and sometimes kind of beautiful and yeah. and and really you know kind of profound and interesting and sad but in the early issues it feels like uh posturing in a lot of different ways that he is doing it but he's aware that he's doing it but he's still doing it and he's winking at you that he's doing it but he's still doing it do you know yeah, what I mean? Kind of, yeah, and he's kind of into it. Yeah, no, it, the realization hasn't hit yet fully that like, oh wait, don't do this, um, yes. for for real, right? Because I agree. Like getting it out on the page. I mean, we've all got stuff like you just want to vomit out whatever stupid, mean, shitty things, right? And and that can be okay, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> but you, but you got to know that you know you got to get it out and 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 know that that's not the way you conduct yourself, right? And know where it's coming from and know where it's coming from, like from you and what you're getting out of that cynicism and shittiness. And over the course of this whole thing, like you can see him start to wrestle with it, not by writing diaries about it and not by analyzing it. In fact, when he stops analyzing it and when he stops looking that inclination in the face and like putting it on the page and just starts telling stories about fictional people that like look at the world in this way, that's when it really starts to sing. I yeah, think. when it's... And it does. Yeah. No, I mean, like, halfway through... Because I... So I read the first half of this thing. I read the first volume in this two-volume set. And I wrote down, I think I hate this. Like, I, I was feeling really bummed out. Like, And this is by what like, issue? Did you write that? Where were you at? Uh, I, was, I was at issue... What is this? One through... So I finished issue 11 out of 18. Yeah. And they are dense comics my dude yes there's uh-huh. there, there's so much going on on every single page there's so much text and like stuff to pour through and the art is really intricate and it's so it's not a it's not a quick read by any means and i spent days getting through issue 11 and i was yep. like i think i hate this i don't think i want to feel this way this is like <laughs> taking me back to a place in my life 
where like I've worked really hard to not be this type of dude anymore. And now I'm just like swimming in it and there's a fucking pandemic going on and fuck Curtis for making me read this. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, there's I'm like sorry. all this yeah, low key, all there. there's like all this like low key homophobia and transphobia and like, like subtle racism that was like cool in the nineties. And it's fucking wild how cool it was to like just, or that how okay it was to throw this shit out there in the early nineties. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And, and and it and it reminded me of how kind of like prevalent that kind of stuff was. Like, like just the way we used to talk as as little kids, the words that would come out of our mouths, our 12-year-old, 16-year-old mouths, you know, it was like I mean, yeah. It's it's rough, but a lot of that came, I mean, it just came across through the popular culture we were consuming too, right? Like it was you could just talk like that. It, totally, totally bizarre. Yeah. And a and a kind of painful reminder, right? Yeah, you see it on the page. You're like, oh, right, that that oh, was fuck. how it was. We did. This is not live that there. far off, right? Yeah. Exactly. Nope. That can so be a I got bit halfway of a done. Yeah. I readily, I really, I wrote. So my note from when I was halfway done says, I don't think I'm going to do anymore. I read ten issues in 24 hours, and it's making me feel pretty shitty. That was yeah. that was just what I wrote <laughs> in, in in real time at that moment. And I'm glad I kept going because it. It does start, we start to get these like, do you remember the the story Caricature? Yeah, oh yeah. So Caricature is this story of a, of a caricature artist. He like travels to carnivals and draws silly pictures of people. Oh yeah, right, and right. And he's uh, attracted to this young woman. He's not really sure how old she is. And it's just him kind of like going through his, this strange life that he has. And you can tell that, an issue of you know an issue of eight ball six issues earlier would have been Dan Klaus's face like literally winking like and drawing caricatures is just like drawing comics but he doesn't do that here he has like the confidence to just let this dude stand in for cartooning and comic book art and tell you know these a few people's sad story over the course of this one weekend at this one carnival and it's really really good and you can you start to see like he feels more confident in the thing and he wants to explore the ideas and not show himself talking about the ideas. Do you know what I mean? Oh, hundred percent. You can, you can feel that happen. You can see it happen in the comic where you could, he just has a realization as a, as you know, a creator, like I can, I can do this without me. I can do this in a totally different way. And it's really successful. Um, Ghost world is the one that, that immediately tonally strikes me as, radically different than what he's been putting yeah. on the page, which I think happens in like maybe issue 11, maybe 12. Yeah. So um, what's Ghost World about? So Ghost this might World's... be the book that if you're if you're familiar with Dan Klaus at all, it might be because of Ghost World. They made a movie out of it. Um, it's it's probably one of his most successful works. Yeah, and it, it's, it's about two uh, kids, uh, you know, two girls. They're getting out of high school, and, uh, you know, it's their senior year in high school, and they're just kind of, it's like their, their day-to-day stuff. You know, it's them talking shit about other girls. It's them, you know, uh, talking about boys. And then there's Dan Klaus stuff in there. Like, they're, you know, infatuated with a, a couple they think are Satanists that go to this diner that they go to. You know, so it's, it's you know, slice-of-life stuff. Um, but but just the tone of it is totally different, and it's it's a fictional story not starring Dan Klaus anywhere, right? And that really, right. really stood out for me, like, after 10 issues of, like, him him being in every strip, in some form or fashion, right? Sure, uh, sure. 
and I thought the voices of these two uh, young women, I thought really, I mean, they had distinct personalities that I could like hear and feel. And they're in the, you know, they're high school seniors, so they're they're a little bit cynical. They're shit talkers. They're you know, they're doing their thing. They've got their scene. They're totally and they... cynical, but they're also like they're performing cynicism. In a, in a lot of different ways, but you can yeah. see that they're doing that. Like, they're yeah. performing how cool they are. And instead of it being Dan Klaus saying, like, look how cynical I am. I'm j- I should probably just kill myself, but I'm still right. You yeah. have actually <laughs> these these two young women that are, like, kind of lonely and kind of, and, like, really dependent on each other, but they don't have the vocabulary to talk about it. And right. they they are cynical so that they can show how cool they are so that no one can see how afraid of everything that they are. And you get that all just through their character, through their, you know, through these really simple little narratives. I agree. Like, Ghost World knocked me out reading it through this time, especially seeing, like, the journey that gets us to Ghost World. And we should probably say that Ghost World was serialized in 8-Ball. The entire thing was serialized in the last half of 8-Ball. Yep, and now you can get it in a collection, and the movie's really, really fantastic as well. They made it into a film that, that kicks ass, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's probably his most well-known work, and deservedly. I mean, it's like like you go from issue ten, and then you you crack issue eleven, and it's like something happened. You know what I mean? You 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 can see yeah. how we got there, right? I mean, obviously, it's not it's not that disjointed, but it's you can tell that he consciously was like, I'm doing this thing now. Um, yes, and it, and it works, and it it's it's stark, but it's it's really really amazing. Yeah, it it does kind of feel like a light is like slowly being flipped on over the course of, you know, seven or eight years. And then once he hit his stride and decided that he he definitely has a type of person that he wants to write about, and that person is himself, but he doesn't have to just put himself into every comic. Um, and that it's better served through, and I'm just, you know, who the fuck am I? I'm just like assuming all of these things about how Dan <laughs> sure. Klaus approached this stuff. Oh, I don't yeah. have the first fucking clue at all. But that's how it read as you're reading it. You're like, oh yeah, 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 Dan Klaus starts to disappear from this. And the more he disappears, the more confident he seems and the better the stories get and the yeah. better the writing gets. Um, and then there's naturally just the art gets better and better just because you can tell he, the, the, the craft has been, you know, has, is being honed over all of these issues. No, and it, it also feels like maybe he's been able to free himself from the expectations of his of his cartooning gods, you know? Yeah, he, totally, he, he, totally. He, he's out from under the weight of R. Crumb and Gilbert Sheldon and Joe Sacco and the Hernandez brothers. Like, he's his, like he can flex on his own. Because um, it definitely feels like, and, and I don't know, I, again, this is just some random asshole who reads his comics saying this, but it felt like, he wanted, he desperately wanted the approval of of these folks that he looked up to uh, so much sure. uh, in the early sure. days of Eight Ball, right? And you can tell at a certain point. I think Ghost World's the start of that. Like, hey, I'm good enough to do my own shit, um, and 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 is and and has been yeah. really. But you know, is a I don't know. It feels liberated. It feels like a, a new dude. Um, totally. Yep. So, do you recommend? I mean, would you? Who do you recommend the complete Eight Ball to? Like. If you are really into Dan Klaus, yeah. I think it's interesting as like a study of him. Yes. But but who do you who is this book for? I'm having a hard time thinking of who I would recommend it to or at least like right. the whole thing. Yeah, I don't I, you know it, it's it's almost like if you want to see this journey and it kind of goes back to a book we read a couple of podcasts ago, um Crisis on Infinite Earths, right in a totally different way. Like if you want to see kind of like this era of comics through this one 
publication. I think this is a really interesting way and in an in a informative way to kind of like, you want to track underground comics through 1989 through 1997. This would go yeah. a long way to giving you some insight, right? I mean, and obviously there's so much more you would have to drink in, but um, yeah, as a, as a like just enjoyment, I think you made a good point. Like in in bites, like I can read Needle Dick the Bug Fucker, for example, for two pages. And then I don't need to read that comic again for like a long time. Will you please tell me what Needle Dick the Bugfucker is? This is yeah. probably one of my favorite moments. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because it's bite-sized, right? But any more would be terrible. But this is about a guy who uh, has a very tiny dick and his name is Needle Dick. So uh, that's fortunate <laughs> or yeah. unfortunate. And he um, is super horny for bugs. Um I guess because they can accommodate his tiny, tiny penis. And um, um, we should say that the sex is non-consensual. He goes and he grabs a bug and he and he bangs it. And then he kills the bug because he's disgusted with himself. And then he sits in a corner and mopes and, and cries like, you know, they didn't deserve that. And that little bug was so sweet. Why did I do that? And then he immediately sees another bug and, you know, fucks it again. So It is so ex- upsetting and yeah. funny. <laughs> like... It's, um, yeah, I don't know. I was like, am I even going to bring up Needle Dick the bug fucker on the podcast? But like, that's the page I keep going back to. <laughs> just because like, it's like, it just like sticks in the middle of this book amongst all of these like self-important screeds and like, look how smart I am. And like, yeah, yeah. you know, this is how the world should be. And then there's just a little one page story about Needle Dick. And uh, it just gets me every single time. I don't know why. <laughs> no, he's got a few of these. There's I can't remember the the one that he does where it's like a Richie Rich parody, and it's like this yeah. shit shitty little rich kid and like a shrimp who's super poor, and the shrimp lives like in in old timey stuff to illustrate that somebody was poor. I always forget this, but I love this. They don't have clothes; they yeah. just wear like a wood barrel. That's right. With and suspenders. That's you, yeah, with suspenders, and that's how you know they're dirt poor. You know. Yeah. And. Uh, Man, that was also extremely funny, but very cruel and mean and, and, and you know, it's shitty. And it's, I don't know yeah. what it says about me. I still found that to be really funny in a tiny little bite. That's the other thing. These things in are a two, tiny little bite. Yeah. Yeah. They're two, two and, pages and, long. And if you're crushing a lot of it, like it doesn't feel good. And I think no. this is what you're getting at. Like, that's if, the point. If yeah. you're going to, if you're going to read this, like, take your time like read it and think about it and step away step away from it if this this is another note that i made when i was reading this thing like if if i was of an age to appreciate this right if i was in my you know late teens early 20s when eight ball came out i would have been obsessed with this book it would have been the most important shit in the world to me waiting for a new issue of eight ball to come out right like there's just a time in my life where this would have been absolutely perfect because of what an asshole I was and how I looked at the world and the kind of stuff that I thought was funny. And that would be the perfect pace of it, too, I think. Like every six months, read an issue of 8-Ball. Yep. No, because th- that dose is the right amount. It, it, yeah, yes. with that time in between, right? To give you some some yes. some air to breathe, some sunshine to see. Yes. Because. Wow, yeah, it, it is a lot, and and that's where we were going with this, right? It's like all at once. This is so so much, and I love it, right? Now that I'm I'm you know I'm I made it through issue fourteen, uh, so I'm gonna finish it actually because it gets so different and so much better uh, when oh, Ghost yeah. World drops that yeah, it it's just a, a di- almost a different book, and it's not because I don't want to say that I don't want to discredit I want to sound like I'm 
you know, he just finds his voice in a different way. Uh, and it's fantastic. I would recommend people don't start with the complete eight ball, uh, one through 18, you know, it, you know, or if you do tiny little bites, but start with modern Dan Klaus because his, his most recent stuff, I would put up there with the best comics I've ever, ever read for sure. He's in my Chris Ware category. Like, I think Dan Klaus and Chris Ware, for me, if you want to talk ultimate, you know, uber-level cartoonists at the top of their form, uh, it's both of those gentlemen, you know, in the last, you know, 10 years, 15 years even yeah. for for uh, Chris Ware. But, yeah, Patience came out, uh, I think, two years ago, which is the latest Dan Klaus graphic novel. And it's... Yep. It's unbelievable. I would tell people to start there. You know, read that book. And if you like that, I mean, then go backwards. Work backwards in time, right? That's probably the way to do it. Although I think that reading Ghost World like this is the most I've ever enjoyed Ghost World. Like yeah. reading, reading it in context with the way that he told stories and like with the filler stuff in between and then coming back to like another installment in Ghost World would show up after another little short vignette like i enjoyed ghost world more on this reading and i've read it three or four times you know just yeah. as a standalone graphic novel this was the coolest way for me to read it i think yeah you you get the first installment of ghost world and it immediately goes to a strip called ectomorph with which is about a shrimpy little wimp who's like trying to get ripped and then he goes to the beach and gets his ass kicked and everybody calls him a junkie yeah um like yeah, and, that's and the, the next the next page right to see his most famous work kind of in context of like what he was doing at the time and a hit like to see the progression of his style that really led to ghost world and which was really became his style thereafter right for sure yeah, to 100%. see that progression is is really really cool and worth the price of admission i think so i'm glad i read this i'm really glad it was a really good suggestion i'm really glad that um that i made it all the way through Nice work. I'm so I'm I'm so impressed that you were able to go 18 issues because, like you said, these comics are so dense. I I feel like I've been reading eight ball nonstop for a week, and I'm on 14 issues. Yeah, it's so chunky. No, there were moments where I felt real fucking hate for you as I was reading these things. I was like, <laughs> I cannot. I like this sucks. Why did I agree to do this? Why did I agree to do this podcast? I fucking hate this. No, but we're learning so like, much about comics, about each so other. Much. It's true. It's really you know? true. No, I, I, I'm glad this lockup has, like, it's forcing us to do shit <laughs> that we don't want to do, <laughs> Nick. Exactly. And we're, but we're doing it, man, together. And uh, that's all, that means so a lot. So next, it does mean a lot, and I thank you for it. Um, I have something for you to read for next week. Okay. Lay it I'd on I'd like me. you to read Charlie Chan Hock Chai by Sonny Liu. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it so hard. I've always wanted to read this one. I know how much you love this book. I started reading yeah. it. I probably got 20 pages in and didn't finish it for no good reason. Um, so I am I am immensely juiced to to finally uh, knock this one out. So Sweet. I'm glad. And we'll be back next week, and we'll talk about this book. Um, before we split, do you have anything to recommend maybe to our listeners that is not a comic book and not a board game? I do. My weekly recommendo this week is uh, Color My Life Radio on Spotify. We all need more music in our life, and uh, even when we're not locked in our caves. And uh, this is I found this artist uh, called Chicano Batman, and uh, this song called Color My Life, it blew my mind. And then uh, the radio station based off this song has been 
just paying dividends. It's absolutely incredible. So, um, so this is like yeah. on Spotify when you click on the song and you're like, give me a radio station based on this song. Exactly. Yep. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, very right on, and it just plays for hours and hours, and I'm getting, I'm just discovering band after band after band. It is, it's paying dividends. So, yeah, Brilliant. good choice. Yeah, Nick, what about you? Do you got uh, any recommendos that are not comics or board games, my guy? Uh, yes, the new Pendleton Ward show is on Netflix as of hey. a couple of days ago. Uh, it's called Midnight Gospel. It is. Oh man, have you seen this yet, Curtis? First of all. I, I have not no, and I love Pendleton Ward, so I'm I'm I didn't even know it existed. You you are going to fall in love with this thing. I have not never been. I feel like I'm really deep in Curtis's head right now because I just finished all of Eight Ball. <laughs> so I am really comfortable saying that this is going to be your favorite shit. Wow. Okay. I'm 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 is, very very excited. It is um about a dude that is doing a sort of podcast where he's interviewing people in by entering into a multiverse and going to their world right before it explodes. Then that does not do it justice. It's all experimental animation, weird ass stream of consciousness, dream logic animation while an actual interview is playing the entire time, but also the people that are being interviewed are reacting to the crazy things that are happening in the animation. I don't know how to describe it. It doesn't matter. Watch it as soon as you can. It's crazy good. I can't yeah. stop thinking about it. Cool. And for for l- listeners, who is Pendleton Ward? Why why do we know his Ooh, name? Pendleton Ward, uh, creator of Adventure Time. Right. Amazing, amazing show that seems like disjointed little vignettes, but is actually a super narrative that totally rocks. Yes. Yes. Dig it. Uh, yes, dig it. And thank you very much, Curtis. That's our whole show. Hey, thanks, brother. We did it. We did another one. We did another one, and we did another one thanks to a few different people. Thanks to A-Bomb, who made all of our music, and thanks to Aaron Polk, who edited our show this week. Yeah, and uh, thanks to Aaron for helping me get my uh, remote setup together today. That was super clutch. Uh, you can subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull Show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, one Spotify, one Stitcher, one all the other places where you can find podcasts. Also, please tell someone about the show. Tell a pal. Tell an enemy. Tell somebody you're trapped in your uh, in a cave with uh, about this podcast. Uh, we need more listeners desperately, and you can help. It's really, really true. How? Uh, what are some ways that people can follow us or tell people about us on the internet, Curtis? You can uh, find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. We're on other places as well. Uh, our SuperSkullShow.com website is a great place where you can go and find us. We have a cool button on there uh, that says Donate. You can click that button if you're feeling super generous and uh, donate a little bit of cash to the show to keep us on air keep us going this is a free show and we don't get paid but it costs just a tiny bit of money to put out and you can help uh, with a reoccurring donation a one-time donation uh, hit that button there's some great options thank you Curtis I could not have said it better myself Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996 my name is Nick Weibar and I'm Curtis Sullivan and we wish you very good reading until next week <laughs> <laughs>